Well, welcome to Life Church this weekend. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to have you with us. And uh, this, uh, this weekend, we're talking about the power of partnership. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to get there. I promise I'll stop by the time I get to Revelation. Is that good? No, I'm just teasing. I hope you had a good Memorial Day. Um, last weekend was an amazing weekend here. Uh, David Grant, who is an incredible missionary. I've traveled to India with David and just a phenomenal I mean, great preacher of God's word, great missionary. The work they're doing in India for sex trafficking and for rescuing women and many times young girls from this horrific thing uh, is amazing through Operation Rescue and their, their Home of Hopes. And you were so generous last weekend in your giving. You gave uh, about $12,000 in that offering uh, on Memorial Day weekend. And how that equates is basically for the next 12 months, there will be 100 ladies whose lives will be changed for the next 12 months because of what you did. And I just want to say thank you. It's amazing. Sometimes we, we don't think about it, but, but, but that little bit makes a huge, huge, huge difference. And so I want to say thanks for that. Last weekend, uh, my family and I, we kind of just took a little weekend off uh, along with about half the other Life Church crowd. No, I'm just teasing. But, uh, and uh, just kind of went north. And uh, just kind of got away a little bit. And, and, you know, as you can tell from my accent, I'm from Wisconsin, right? I had that deep, 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 yeah, okay. And um, I've lived here about 10 years. But Wisconsin is a beautiful state. And one of the things I love about Wisconsin are the rolling hills, especially on a blue day, like a blue sky day, and uh, the, the hills. And then you see these beautiful farms, black, rich Wisconsin soil, these red barns, these silos. And as we were going north last weekend, you know, you could see the tractors and you could see all the, the machinery that was plowing the ground. You could see newly planted uh, grounds. We went through an area where there were Amish and they were in the horse and, and plow and the girls were saying, what's that, Dad? So that opened up a whole conversation there of that's how people live before the last 100 years. And, and so, and, and what struck me is the amount of just confidence that these farmers have with a principle that I think many times we forget and we overlook as being insignificant, but it's really life-changing, life-sustaining. It's this whole idea, and it actually comes from the Bible. And we drive past these farms, we see these fields, we expect, you know, the, the corn that's planted now to be knee-high by the 4th of July. That's a rule of thumb. And, and, and where does it come from? Well, it comes from God's Word. And it's a principle in Scripture that basically is this, that God created man for partnership. That's the principle, that God created you and I for partnership. I want to talk about that today. He created us for partnership. Now, many times we think of God in terms of mystical, supernatural, and He is that. But if you remember, God created this world and all that there is, so he created the natural laws that govern this world. And many times we dismiss the natural laws as just being something like the fact that the world that we live in stays in orbit every single day. We just go, yeah, sure it does. Laws of gravity, laws of physics, laws of momentum. We just kind of make assumptions, and we don't really think. But God is the one who spoke those laws into existence. God's the one that created those laws. And actually, that's how God wants to govern the earth. And sin comes in and tries to steal, kill, and destroy. So God raises up a standard against it, and that's the supernatural miracle-working power of God. And we love that, but really, God intended to work through these natural laws. 
And it really kind of goes back to another conversation for another day. But what's greater, a blessed life or a miraculous life? We like the miraculous, but I'm going to tell you, according to Scripture, the blessed life, that of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that of Daniel, who had an excellent spirit, the Bible said, that of David, that, that naturally blessed life because they operate in the principles and giftings of God, it's actually a more powerful thing. And so I, I want to talk about this principle of partnership that we see that we're going to enjoy that good sweet corn. Come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Mm, I don't care how much cholesterol you have. You're going to dip it in some, put some salt on it. I just got to have one more. It's a, it's a vegetable, honey. Ooh, thank you, Jesus, right? Come on. So the first thing I want you to do is take your Bible, and I got, the, I got my Bible. This is like, I know, take me back, 1989, graduation gift, teal green. They don't make these anymore, and it's not for sale. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says this, Then God said, let us, us, meaning plural noun, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, the Trinity, make man, that's you and I, in our image and in our likeness. Notice, that's the only thing he makes in his image and his likeness. And the man will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. When we talk about the, this power of partnership, you and I, we are created to be, first of all, in partnership with God. We're created to be in partnership with God. There's all kinds of partnerships we're going to have in our life. Partnerships in marriage, partnerships in friends, partnerships in business, partnerships in family. But the number one partnership that God said he wants to create is between him and us. Now think about a partnership. Don't, don't go all super spiritual on me just because we're in church, right? Let's, don't check your brains at the door. A partnership is based upon the idea that two parties come together and they partner together and they have, each one of them has their own role and each one of them has their own responsibility. If I can do everything myself, I don't need you right? I don't need a partnership if I have the ability to do everything. Now, you go, but God doesn't need us. No, but he chooses to want to partner with us. And so God says, look, I've got roles and responsibilities, and I'm going to give this creation of mine, man, who I'm going to make in my likeness and in my image. He's not going to be created like anything else, set apart. He's not part of the animal kingdom, contrary to popular opinion. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. All right, here we go. So, but I'm going to create him in this way. So he's going to have an intellect, an emotional, and a physical, and a spiritual capacity that none of the other creation has. And the world that, in which he's going to live in is going to be the, my handiwork, but only he will bear my image. And he being neutral, gender neutral, he or she will bear my image. And so he says, he's going to have a role and responsibility. I'm going to have a role and responsibility. And in any great partnership, it's incumbent upon both parties to fulfill their role and responsibility. And if one of the two parties ceases or fails to, to contribute to the partnership, it's a poor partnership, right? And so you try to dissolve the partnership. And God says, look, you're going to have a part and I'm going to have a part. And the most important partnership that you and I are ever going to have isn't marriage, although that's very important. Isn't family, although that's very important. Isn't a business. It's not friendship. It's our relationship and our partnership with him. That's where God begins this. I'm going to create man in my likeness and in my image. And I'm going to have a partnership with him. 
The Bible paints this picture that God walked and talked with Adam and Eve at the cool of the day. He would, at the end of a day's work, he would come and sit down and sit on the, I'm sorry, I'm from the south, on the big front porch and drink some sweet tea. I'm telling you, it will be in heaven. Chick-fil-A will be in heaven. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And, And I'm going to talk with him in the cool of the day. Partnership. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus said, and all these things shall be added unto you. The most important partnership that you have is your partnership with God. That's not my place to judge, but how's that partnership going? Where's that partnership at? Well, it's complicated. Hey, it's always complicated, isn't it? But before sin ever entered in the world, we're created to be in partnership. Second statement about partnership, let's look at verse 29 of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, read on down. Then God said, I will give you, speaking to Adam, speaking to man, every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it, they will be yours. So God says, look, here's the deal. I am going to give you the power to produce by sowing seed. That's the second statement about partnership. We are given the power to produce by sowing seed. That's how God created this earth. Give us the power to produce by sowing seed. Now, what's seed? I mean, in this context, it's vegetation. It's agricultural. But seed can be anything that's tangible or intangible. It can be an item or an idea. Let me explain this a little bit, because sometimes I think we just kind of check our brains and go, okay, that's a real great message. There's like some fable, like Aesop fable, and there's some moral to the story. Amen. Let's go eat, right? But there's more to it than that. For a salesperson, if you're a salesman or sales lady in the room, it's your pitch. It's, your, it's what you're selling. It's that whole deal. You're sowing that idea. You're sowing that pitch. You're, you're, you're introducing your customer to this new line that you have. For an entrepreneur, it's an idea. It's a concept. It's something that you think that could, that could happen that the market's looking for. For a scientist, it's an equation. A plus B equals C. For, for a worker, it's the action of labor. They're sowing labor. They get up, they work hard by the sweat of their brow every day in order to receive or to reap a harvest of finances for the hours that have been worked. For a pastor, it's me teaching the Word. Why? Because the Bible says of itself that the Word of God will never return back empty or return back void. So I'm constantly sowing the seed of God, constantly sowing the seed of God, constantly sowing the seed of God, because my job is to equip you as a church to be champions for Jesus. So how do I do that? By sowing the seed. It's a natural law. Seed, time, and harvest. It's the same thing that you see as you go to these outlying counties outside of Milwaukee. You see that there will be a farmer who will pile the ground, he will plant the seed, he will give it time, and he will expect a harvest. And nobody thinks that's crazy. That's how we eat. But this ideology behind this is actually not an ideology. It's a theology. And God said in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, For as long as the earth shall endure, there will be seed, time, and harvest. As long as the earth shall endure, there will be summer and winter. For as long as the earth shall endure, there will be winter and, and summer and winter. There will be daytime and nighttime. We have no problem with that. We understand that there are seasons, that there are times. But do you understand that God has given you and I the power to produce by what we sow? I think about this. We never start with a harvest in our life. I mean, you know, the, I, you know you, 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 you're not 21, you get the corner office and become the CEO, right? It takes, yeah, some of you have had conversations with your kids too. Okay, you know, it's just, it doesn't work that way, right? Wouldn't it be great? 
And so it takes a while to get to that level. Why? Because you're sowing seed of action and activity. And if you do it the right way, it will bring a harvest. It will open doors. It pays the mortgage. It pays the SUV. It sends everybody to Disneyland. I mean, whatever it may be. But you never start with what you need. And there's a misnomer out there that you get to a certain precipice in life and that everything you need, you have. Talk to wealthy people. They will tell you there's still something that they don't have they're looking for. Talk to a guy who's growing a church. They're still going to talk about, I need to take the church to the next level. We need to do more campuses. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about dollars and cents, you're talking about souls, you're talking about anything. And the idea is, is that many times we've got to remember, we never start with a harvest. We always start with a seed. And what happens is, whether I'm trying to pay a bill, whether I'm trying to put my kids through college, whether I'm trying to get the next job, whether I'm trying to land the, the, the next client, I'm always needing something, and it's always beyond what I have the ability to do. And when you find yourself in that situation, and we all do, what do you tend to do? You tend to look beyond yourself and look out on the horizon and see who's got my answer. And then we tend to seek to meet people instead of seeking to meet God and allowing God to bring that in. We tend to seek to try to figure it out instead of just trusting the Lord with all of our heart. And so what happens is, is we think that our answer is out there. One day when my ship will come in, when I meet the right person, when I connect with the right thing, when I land this client, when I get to this financial level, when I get to this place in the corporation, when I'm able to build it to this point, when I'm able to get to... And we have the case of the if I had's. Well, if I had $10,000 more, well, if I had that job, well, if I had that house, well, if I had that life, if I was married to that person, if I had this, if I had that. My grandmother used to say, if if and buts were candy nuts, we'd all have a very Merry Christmas. <laughs> Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. I'm just telling you, it works. <laughs> Here's the reality. We have this deal. And the, reality, and the, and the caution is, is that when we get out there, we, we begin to look out there, out somewhere else beyond ourselves. But the truth of the matter is, is that God has given every one of us in our life the seed of what we need to be able to, if we will sow it and trust him, to produce the harvest of righteousness in our own lives and in our own callings to be able to do what he's called us to do. But that requires faith. That requires partnership. That requires something beyond me. And all the type A's in the room with me that are controllers go, oh, I'm not comfortable with that yet. Easy there, big fella. Because we like to control everything. And God says, no, no, this is a partnership. I'm going to give you the power to produce by sowing seed. And here's the, need, here's the answer. You may not have the harvest that you need to meet your need today, but you have the seed that you need to succeed to meet the need that you have today. I'm telling you, it's all throughout Scripture. I don't have time. We'd be here all night. But you see it all throughout Scripture. God says, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Whatever, what's ever in your hand, do is unto the Lord. Whatever your hand finds do, do is unto the Lord. What do you have right now? You know, the, 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 the way to the master's chamber is through the servant's quarters. You know, he, he, you, you're parable of the talents. You're faithful with little. God makes you ruler over much. You don't get to start with much. You always start with little, and you're faithful with little, and, 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 and your character is intact, then God will continue to bless you and do that. Because it's all based back to this ideology and this theology that we have the power to produce in our lives by sowing seed. So... Let's look at Genesis 2.8. This is the next part of this. Genesis chapter 2.8. And I'm going somewhere with this, so just hang with me. Genesis 2.8. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden 
in the east in Eden. I'm sure you've heard of it, the Garden of Eden. Okay, and there he put man that he had formed. And God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. The trees were pleasing to the eye for food. And in the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God plants this garden, and he puts man there to help it grow. Here's the thing. God is the one who makes the seed grow. We are to sow the seed. God is the one that makes it grow. We are to sow it. He grows it. We sow. He grows Promotion, the Bible says, doesn't come from the east or the west, but it comes from heaven above. Increase doesn't come from you and I. It's not in our trying, but in our trusting. It's not in our running, but in our resting, that we find the strength of the Lord. It's not in our ability to make it happen. That's why I tell people, and I'm not trying to be falsely humble, I did not and do not grow this church. I don't have that capacity. Thank you for believing in me. But at the end of the day, all I have the ability to do is sow the seed of God's word in faith and in believing and trust him that he will do what he said he's going to do. And that's been the story of this church in any growing church. Started with 35 people at the high school. Today, Easter, there were 17, right under 1,700 people here. How does that happen? Because you have a great pastor? No. Because you have great music? No. Because you have a great program? No. Because you got a great building. Have you seen the pole in the Germantown campus? No. <laughs> it's because that the word works when you work the word. When you sow the word of God, it will never return back void. And when we will trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding, but acknowledge him in all our ways, he will guide and direct our paths. To where? To accomplish the purposes and the plans that he has from us that he's preordained from the very foundations of the earth, says the Lord. You sow the seed, but you allow him to trust with the growth. Now I can see it. Oh, pastor, that's good preaching. But that doesn't work on Monday morning. That doesn't work on Tuesday afternoon with the clients. That doesn't work in the board meeting that I've got with the the board of directors on Thursday. Well, ask the farmer how it works for him. Because he lives and dies by it. But, 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 Pastor, you know, there are times where there's crop failure. Sure, that's called the curse. If you read it in Genesis chapter 3, don't get ahead of me. I can see where you're at. Don't get ahead of me now. In Genesis chapter 3, there's a curse on the earth that it will produce thorns and thistles, and we'll work by the sweat of our brow, and there will be a curse. But Galatians tells us that Jesus came to redeem us from the curse. He doesn't redeem the earth from the curse, but redeems us from the curse. And in the end, when the enemy comes in like a flood, when the enemy comes in to steal, kill, and destroy, according to John chapter 10, Jesus comes in to give us life and life to the full. So he redeems us. This earth is not redeemed. It is spiraling out of control. That's why the Bible says in the last days there'll be rumors of war and famine and earthquakes and pestilence of every time. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. But you and I, who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are redeemed from the curse. But this is no different than a financial planner walking in and saying, I'm going to take this $1 bill, I'm going to invest it into the market, not Facebook, but into the market, and I'm going to get a return on your money, and I'm going to give you 20% in a down economy, and the guy that can do that, everybody goes, hey, will you take my money? Why? Because it's the same principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, for God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that's what he reaps. That's the reason why if you push back from the buffet and if you go to the gym and you work out, over a period of time, you will lose the weight. You will look good. And all the skinny people in this room, we don't like you because it's natural for you, but we're good looking. And so anyhow, right? 
seed, time, and harvest. And here's where we get frustrated when we try to do God's part. Listen to me, businessman. You're trying to grow that business. You can't grow that business. You can sow the seed, the idea. It doesn't mean that you don't work. (laughs) It doesn't mean you don't work the ground. You're going to work the ground, but you have to trust him for the increase. Are you doing that? I mean, you got to remember, well, that works in church. Church hasn't even been talked about. It's thousands of years away. That's Acts chapter 1 stuff. The family is just now being mentioned in Scripture at this point. This is the foundations of the earth. This is how God put the natural laws together. See, what happens is we get frustrated when we try to figure it out, when we try to do God's part. And the bottom line is, is that when we do that, here's what we start praying. Oh, God, I need you to show up. Oh, God, I need you to pay the bill. Oh, God, I need you to fix little Johnny or, or little Susie. Lord, they're, they're, they're sick in the mind. Lord, I need you to help them. You know, they're rebellious. And, and Lord, I need you to work on this part. And God, I need you to help my boss. And, and God, just, just, you know, send them somewhere. But, you know, get them out of here. And, and, and we ask God to do things instead of saying, God, I only have the ability, according to Scripture, to sow the seed. Whether it's an idea, it's an action, it's tangible, it's intangible. Show me what you want me to do. Then I, as a follower of yours in faith, will do what you ask me to do. Then God says, okay, I can answer that question. Because tell me in Scripture where God moves first. He doesn't. It's called faith, folks. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. So instead of asking God to move, instead of saying, hey, God, if you want me to move to Albuquerque, here's what I want you to do. Would you just let it snow in the middle of July in Wisconsin? It can happen. It's on record. But, but God, could you let it happen in 2012? Right? Instead of saying, God, what do you want me to do? Show me. What's my next step? Because I don't have the ability to make increase. I don't have the ability to make growth. What I have the ability to do is for you to show me what to do. I'm telling you, that's how I do, how I live my life. God, I do not have the ability to figure this out. Show me what my next move is. Show me what you want me to do. Because the word says you're the one that brings the increase. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, I think it is. If my people... That's us. Who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves and pray. That we all know what to do with prayer. And turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Then shall they hear from heaven. You want God to answer you? Quit asking him to change. Because he doesn't. Malachi 3 says God changes not. Quit asking him to move on your timetable. The Bible says that in the, in the timetable of God, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is, is as a day. He does not work on our time. I don't care if you got Rolex time. He doesn't work on Rolex time or Timex time or no time. What? If we ask him, God, what do you want me to do? Show me what action I'm to sow. Show me what I'm to say to this client. Show me what I'm to do in this moment. Show me how I'm to lead this corporation. Show me how I'm to lead my family. Show me what you want me to do, God. Show me. Just show me what you want me to do to reveal yourself to me. I'll do it. Because God is the one who makes the seed grow. And if you believe that, you'll ask him for that.
If you only believe that God has power on your weekend church experience, you will devoid yourself of him Monday through Friday and go, God, I got the business world handled. And God's cool with that. So go, hey, man, cool. Peace out, girl, Scott. I'll be over here at Starbucks grabbing a grande skinny cinnamon with dolce latte at 190 degrees because that's God's favorite drink. And he'll be over there doing that. And when we come to the end of ourselves going, oh, God, I've screwed up again. I know, I know, I know. That's why I gave you grace. But, but what do you need? But it doesn't change. You notice that life is cyclical. You either learn the lesson or you just keep going around and around and around till you come to the end of yourself. Genesis chapter 2, 15. Look at this real quickly. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The King James Version says to dress it and to keep it. That was his job. So the tools of the trade that God has given us is authority. The tool of the trade is authority. Now, there's two things that he tells us there in that passage. To dress it, to keep it. To work it, to keep it. So to dress it is speaking of seed. Okay? That's the first area that we have, we have authority over, seed. We have the ability to sow the seed. Now, notice this. He puts him in the Garden of Eden, and he tells him, I want you to dress it. He doesn't need pruning, and it doesn't need weeding. Why? Because weeds and thorns and thistles are a result, according to Genesis chapter 3, of the fall of man. Sin hasn't entered the earth yet. So what does God want him to do? He wants to take this Garden of Eden that God basically said, here's what I want you to do with the rest of your life, Adam. I want you to take this garden, and I'm going to begin it here for you. And I'm going to water it. I'm going to grow it. I'm going to increase it. And I want you to take the seed from here, and I want you to spread it across the earth. That was God's plan. If you notice, in Genesis chapter 1, the first part of chapter 2, he speaks of how God speaks the earth into existence, but there was no vegetation that had formed yet because God had not yet watered it. Water doesn't come from the sky until Noah. So the Bible says that the water, that the earth was watered from springs that came up. It was like dew, condensation that was coming up from the ground that would water it, and he would do that. So God kind of said, hey, here's, the, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to show you what I want you to do. I'm going to model it in front of you. Now I want you to take this and replicate this. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Notice that it's not a reactive stance of pruning and weeding. It's proactive. I want you to seed it. I want you to grow it. That's the reason why there's something in every one of us that believes and we hope in a better tomorrow. We believe that we can do this. We want, and we feel best when we've been pushed to the limit, when we've gone to the next level, gone to the next level. There's something about that because that's what God's put inside of us is to take dominion over this earth, to have authority, and to sow seed, to grow, to increase. It's a, it's a natural way that God works. But the second tool of this trait of authority is, he says, I want you to protect it. I want you to keep it. Sometimes people ask the question, well, why didn't God deal with the serpent that caused all the sin and all the problem? Every answer we ever need in life is found in the Bible. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. And here's the authority. Let him rule over all the fish of the sea, all the birds of the air, all the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. A, ser a serpent is a creature that moves along the ground. When the serpent enters the garden, Adam has the power and the authority given to him by God to have dominion over that creature. Why doesn't Adam take dominion over that? Why doesn't he take authority over that? It's the same reason why you and I don't take authority over the snakes that come into our lives, into our families. 
And we allow things to sneak in. We allow things to crawl in. We allow things to creep in on the corners. And what happens, all of a sudden, one day, we wake up and we've lost it all. We're, we're morally bankrupt. It's this, it, the Bible says it's these little foxes that spoil the vine. It's these little things that begin to come in. It's not the devil in, in a pitchfork standing at the, at the doorstep of our life. It's these little things that come in and come in and come in. And the bottom line is God gave Adam the authority to deal with it. And Adam doesn't walk in the authority that he has to deal with the situation. And today, it's the same thing is true of us. If we don't take authority over those issues in our life, they will eat our lunch. And some of you are looking at me like, wow, really? I have authority? That's what the Bible says. That's how he created us. Think about this. The Bible told Adam, I want you to name every creature that walks and lives on the earth. Why does he do that? Because whoever has the ability to name something has the ability to have authority over it. Now, I'm not being chauvinistic, but this is, where, this, is, this is literally where the whole concept of a woman taking, when she becomes married to a man, taking his last name. Because it shows that although she has equal value in the sight of God, the Bible talks about this, that the man is not greater than the woman, but his role and function is different, and he's the leader of the home. He has authority over the home. He's there to protect the home. He's there to cultivate the home. He's the one that's given authority. Thus, it's his last name. It's the same reason why you name your children, because you have authority over your children. But if you don't take authority, you can't start taking authority when they're 16, or you got hell on wheels. The reason why the Bible says you teach and train a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, older, he will not depart from it. Why? Because you have authority. But the problem is we don't walk in the authority that we have. We don't walk. I'm not talking about domination. I'm not talking about I, me, and I'm not talking about powering up. I'm talking about walking in the authority of Scripture to overcome the things that God has given us the authority to do. We're to walk into authority to protect our home, to protect our lives, to protect our relationship with Christ, to protect the things. How many times do you read on the New York Times of some person who has lost everything again because they didn't protect the investment that they'd given their entire life to build? Why? Because they did not walk in the authority in which God gave them to walk in. That's why he gave us, gave us the, gives us the authority. You, here's the good news. We have the authority. In the name of Jesus, we have the authority. Now, God's responsibility is to make the seed grow. Man's responsibility is to sow and use the authority. So what about sin? Doesn't that change everything, Pastor? I mean, in chapter 3, it's like the, the, the childbearing, and, and that's going to be painful, and th fickle, th uh, th uh, thorns and thistles and weeds. No. Why? Because Malachi 3, God declares, He is God and He does not change. Let me help you. Nothing ever occurs to God. God never goes, well, I've never thought of that before. <laughs> That's a great idea. That's how that works. It's never happened. We're made the image and likeness of God, but we're not God. We're a little bit further down the food chain. And then Jesus Christ comes on the scene to do what? To restore and to demonstrate the authority and the partnership that God had for us to do. Check this out. From Genesis chapter 3 until Matthew chapter 1, and I know that's just work with me, those of you that are theologians, it just makes sense for the rest of us in the room. There's a thing called the law that's given, and the law was inadequate to be able to meet the needs. It could not redeem man from their sins. The law can only push your sins forward another year closer to the time that God would give his only son who would die on the cross for our sins. 
But God sends Jesus Christ, and theologians call him the second Adam. The first Adam screwed everything up in the garden because of sin. The second Adam is going to come, be 100% God and 100% man, and he is going to live life in such a way that will demonstrate the power and the authority to sow seed and to walk in the authority that God's given us. He's an example. That's why we are Christians, Christ-like, Christ followers. Hang on, I'm, I'm getting ready to land the plane. Galatians chapter 3 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, that which was given from Genesis 3 until Matthew 1. By becoming a curse for us, for it's written that the curse is everyone who's hung on a cross. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, the Old Testament covenant, might come to the Gentiles, to Jesus Christ. And 90 times in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is referred to not as the Son of God, but as a son of man. Why? Because he's the second Adam. God said, I'm going to show you again, humanity, how this works. I'm going to have one that's not going to mess up like Adam did. God bless him. But I'm going to have one that's going to do this. I'm going to give you my only son. And so he comes and he lives. You go, well, how is that? Well, do you remember Mark chapter 11 tells us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He passes by a fig tree and he curses it. A few days later when they're leaving Jerusalem, they go by and the fig tree is completely withered and it's completely just, I mean, from from the roots up, it's dead. Why did he curse the fig tree? Because in Genesis chapter 3, when man sins, what do they do? They go and they take fig leaves to cover their sin. And Jesus says, there's no one that's going to cover the sins of humanity but the blood of Jesus Christ. There is none that can redeem any man from the sin or from the curse but Jesus. What the fig tree was unable to do, I will do in completion. Jesus also tells the disciples, hey, as I go into the city, I'm going to go in and there's going to be a parade for me. And there's going to be in the narrow streets of Jerusalem, there are going to be thousands of people with palm branches singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. We call that Palm Sunday. And they're going to do this. And so I want you to find me a colt. Now, if you're not a country boy, you're not going to understand this. That's never been ridden that I will ride for the first time through the narrow streets of Jerusalem with people screaming and yelling, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. You don't ride an unbroken mule through streets like that with people screaming and yelling unless you want to be bucked off. But what does Jesus do? He takes dominion. Why? Because Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says that man whom he was will have dominion over the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the field, and everything that crawls along the power of the earth. Then Jesus gets done with this. He's going across the Sea of Galilee. There's a storm that comes up. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus is on the boat, and they're doing everything they know to do because they're trying to control it, which we can't control it. And Jesus says, why did you wake me up? Peace, be still. And that instant, the winds and the waves ceased and obeyed. He said, thank you, now I can go back to bed. Because he has power and dominion. That's what it's all about. Following Jesus Christ is all about a partnership. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. So God brings salvation that you and I can't do. And all we have to do is take the faith that we have and receive that. Partnership. Partnership. The reason why some of you live can to cane is because you don't practice the word. Partnership. The reason why you don't have control in some areas of your life, dominion, authority. 
Now, I'm not talking about being perfect. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. But I'm telling you, through Jesus Christ, he has redeemed us from the curse. The world that we live in is still under the curse. We'll always be under the curse. But the Bible says that we are redeemed from the curse, which means we no longer have to be subject to the curse of this earth. Does that not mean we still don't have to deal with it? No, we have to deal with it, but we look to him. We trust to him. We lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, we'd fall. Why? Because this word will never return void. The Bible says that God holds it all in the palm of his hand. You can say that's just Pollyanna Christianity for weak-minded people that need a crutch. I'm just telling you that's what the book says. So what? Well, the first thing I'd say is do your part and quit trying to do God's part. Some of you are trying to control things you have not the ability to control. And I would be the first to be in line. You know, I'm trying to help God out all the time. I'm sure nobody does that in this room. Just sow the seed. Take authority over the things that God's put under your roof and move ahead. Be proactive instead of reactive. And the second thing is, maybe you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you've spun your wheels and made your deals, but it's been to no avail because the fundamental partnership in life that makes this work is not in place in your life. And you simply can just simply say, Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I ask to you to be my Lord and my Savior. And according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sins and saved unto God. And you develop that relationship with him. It's that simple. It's not about joining a church. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I know I've given you a lot today. I want to pray real quick. But I'm telling you, something that you're going to drive by farms and maybe tweak a little bit different and think. Knee high by the 4th of July when you see that, that corn coming up. Maybe you're thinking a little bit less about salt and butter, although there's nothing wrong with that. But this is how God works. For as long as this earth shall endure, there will be seed, time, and harvest. And we, through the blood of Jesus Christ, have been redeemed from the curse. And that means that in your businesses, in your families, in your homes, in your marriages, in your finances, in your future, in your past, you have authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus told the disciples, greater things will you do because I go to the Father for you. Greater things than what they said. These healings, these miracles, these signs and these wonders. You'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You'll lay hands on the dead and they'll be raised. You'll give sight to the blind. Why? It's the authority that's given in the name of the power of Jesus Christ. Father, I just thank you today for your word. And I pray, God, help us as we leave here today, God, to be full of the power and the passion of the Holy Spirit. God, help us to walk in the in you, Lord, not in our own strength, not in our own name, but it's in you, Lord. We're followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, this isn't about a church. This isn't about a pastor. This isn't about a denomination or a movement. This is about following you. This is about natural laws that you have set in place, things that we see played out in farm fields all across this great state. And help us remember that it works in our lives. And the word of God works if we will just work the word. Help us to release the things that we don't have the control over. Help us to release the growth. Help us to release that. We don't have the ability to control that. That's not our job in the partnership. 
We're micromanaging. That's not our job. We are to release that. But help us to walk and to sow the seed that we're supposed to sow and to walk into the authority of the things that you've given us authority over. And the things that we haven't, we give it to you because you're in control. Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.